In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Eteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John in the desert. I think we are supposed to laugh at that. All those big fancy names and titles, a who's who of the ancient world, both secular and religious powers, are passed over in favor of a man called John, may as well be called John Doe, rambling somewhere in the wilderness about repentance and baptism. And it is to this man that the word of God comes. He is calling people out with him into the wilderness, as the Lord has called his people before, you may remember, out of Egypt. And then a millennium later, God calls his people out of Babylon. Egypt didn't look like a wilderness. You remember all the complaining of God's people wanting to go back to Egypt so they could be uh, at least fed and eat their fill. It didn't look like a wilderness, but Egypt was. And Babylon also didn't look like a wilderness. It was the power center of the known world, and it was the divinely appointed uh, custodian of God's people for a time. God wanted them there. Jeremiah says in chapter 29 to the exiles that go to Babylon that they should be good to the city. They should pray for its welfare and treat it well because it is their home. It didn't look like a wilderness, but it was. Israel left Egypt for the actual desert, as in no food, no water, nations more powerful and menacing than themselves. And Israel left Babylon to come back to the ruined city of Jerusalem. No city wall, no temple to speak of, and a desolated city. But nonetheless, though it didn't look it, that city was still the city of God. And today, John calls the people out again, this time out of Jerusalem, out of a corrupt temple, out of a uh, corrupt form of Pax Romana, of Roman oversight over the land of Judea, and all of them into the wilderness of Jordan. And again, there's this twist. The region of the Jordan where John is baptizing all these people looks like a wilderness, but it is where baptismal waters flow. Jerusalem, on the other hand, looks like civilization and religious civilization, pious observances in the temple, the very city of God on earth. But John, by implication in our gospel, calls Jerusalem a mother viper, bearing a brood of viper children. And John is calling those uh, snake children out of Jerusalem. Come out, he says. Come out of your mother. And notice the pattern here. God calls his people out of Egypt, out of Babylon, and out of Jerusalem. Each of these were good homes for a time for God's people. But each of them had grown corrupt, had become a blasted wilderness, and Jerusalem herself had become a viper mother. 
John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. So the warning that John gives his people is twofold. He says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That is, turn away from your sins. And also, don't rest on your um, genealogical laurels. Don't be so impressed that you are children of Abraham. That won't matter so much anymore. Do not cling to Jerusalem. And do not cling to your sins. Come out of her. Come out of them. John, of course, is firm. He is sharp. But that is because he knows the fate of Jerusalem. The axe, as he says, is already laid right there at the root of the tree. Within a generation, the temple in Jerusalem will be level. And that will be uh, for the final time. And John wants to prepare these people, to prepare his people, the children of Jerusalem, to follow Jesus when he comes for them. He will lead them out of their former way of life in Judaism and into eternal life, and he will lead them into forgiveness, life, and salvation. And he and John has come to prepare these people for the coming of Christ, to follow Jesus when he comes for them. And so he's firm. But he is also patient. He is pastoral. He listens. Remember the the back and forth he has with the people who are baptized. He listens to them. He answers their questions about what baptism will now mean for them. He preaches good news to them, even though it costs him his freedom and then his life at the hands of King Herod, who he has rubbed the wrong way. So notice the effect of John's baptism on the lives of these people. Notice that it is they who ask him, what shall we now do? What is it? What do we do now? And that is a good baptismal question for us to ask as well. We, you, who have received the baptism of water and of the Holy Spirit, what then shall we do? John says, to give of what you have to those who have not. Share your food and your clothes with those who are in need. Tax collectors, um, officials, must be just. Soldiers must not be cruel extortioners, but they must instead be content with what they've been given, content with their wages. We can certainly learn from these examples that St. John has gave those people of old. And we can also notice that these things are hard things. John's command will Sting. It will be hard on these people. Imagine for a moment the tax collector who has become very accustomed to a certain standard of living based on taxing above what he is allowed to. He, you know, John's commandment will make a difference in his life, a very kind of tangible difference. It will mean perhaps a drastic loss in his expected income. It will mean a severe adjustment to his lifestyle. It will probably mean a curtailment of his social circle. And the soldier is the same. 
He will be hard-pressed to follow John's loving and caring commandment. He now will need to live on just his wages. And what's more than that, he will have to avoid the temptation to covet his fellow soldiers who are still raking it in on the, on the side by extorting uh, citizens, I guess. And this is always true of repentance. It is a difficult thing. And it is a, at least a blessing. This uh, image that we get from, from John the Baptist today blesses us as a gift because he accepts that. He doesn't pretend that repentance is some easy thing that everyone can do and why don't you just figure it out? He spends time with these people. He listens to their questions. And he shows us that repentance is not by magic. uh, And he doesn't expect it to be. And we shouldn't expect that either. Our Lord does not expect you to be perfect. He knows you far too well. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So John sits with his people. He listens to them. He answers their question. He thinks along with them patiently about what the effect of the gospel should be on their particular lives. And this season of Advent is a good time for us to kind of follow along. This is a a beautiful reading for us this time of year. As we prepare spiritually for the feasts of Christmas... Let us make these questions of St. John our own. Allow our Lord Jesus, who is merciful and patient to you, who is eager to forgive you all of your sins, and also eager to sanctify your life day after day, let him lead you in the way of day after day repentance that leads on the way to life. Jesus is merciful, he is patient, and he also is coming for you. This is the final good news that uh, St. John gives his listeners today. This is the, the capstone of John's preaching. This is what gives hope and strength and faith to the soldiers and the tax collectors and all the rest who come out to be baptized, repenting of their sins. They are not just fleeing from somewhere, from their viper mother Jerusalem. They are fleeing to someone They are coming out, and John promises that he is coming. They are fleeing from the Herods and the Pilots and the Caiaphases of this world. And they are also running, John promises, to Christ. One who is mightier than John is coming for them, to save them, to gather them into his barn. He will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. And... John means that to be good news, actually. He means uh, that that's good news for those who have come out of Jerusalem. Because by their very coming, by their very baptism, they are repenting of all of that. They are turning away from all of that. They're there because they are disenchanted with that world. They are there because they realize that all their leaders, all their titles, all their regulations are all finally chaff. It's just like you when you come to church today. You are here because you know that the world out there ultimately has nothing for you. 
Ultimately, it's all chaff. You know that all the troubles of this world, that all the frustrations and all the pretend solutions that everyone offers and all of the temptations that constantly plague you and whisper to you out there, you know that they're all chaff. And that's why you're here. They don't look like chaff. They sparkle and glow and glimmer. But they are. And Jesus is coming for you And he is coming to prove it. Jesus is coming and every knee will bow. Jesus is coming and every wrong that you suffer will be made right. Jesus is coming and all of the evils of this world and all of the evildoers of this world will be burned with unquenchable fire. And it's important that John means that as comfort for you. As comfort for those who have come out of the Jerusalem of this world to see him, to see God, because God has led you aright. He has not deceived you. He has not led you on some wild goose chase in the wilderness. He has led you aright. These people that are following after John are not fools for forsaking their former way of life. They are not foolish for repenting of their sins. They are not foolish by being baptized by John in the desert, and they are not foolish because they wait for the coming of Christ. John promises, and he does not lie, Christ is coming for you. And today, that promise, the exact same promise, is yours. You are not foolish to trust the words of Holy Scripture. You are not foolish to to say, as you did today, I, a poor, miserable sinner... You are not foolish to repent of your sins and strive to leave them behind because Christ is coming for you. He is coming to gather his wheat into his barn. He is not coming to gather the perfect. He is coming to gather the repentant. And he is coming to gather you. Thanks be to God. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen.